Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being here. A little later in the program, we are going to talk about the standoff at Standing Rock and the issues that face indigenous people here in the United States. Lost in much of the election coverage, of course, was this standoff at Standing Rock Indian Reservation in North Dakota uh, over a pipeline a planned pipeline. Uh, we're going to talk about what that means and what's going on there, what what the people of that region think about uh, this plan for a pipeline, why they are so upset about it, and sort of how it relates to the issues that Native Americans have uh, with this country more broadly. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. <clears throat> of course, we'll want to hear from you and your opinions about uh, that standoff, about uh, energy policy and development here in the United States. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. But up front, Hillary Clinton is going to lose the presidential election, despite the fact that she is going to win the national popular vote by more than a million votes. This will mark the second time in just 16 years that that has happened. And that's because the Electoral College is the way that since the beginning, we have decided to elect or select, whichever verb you want to choose, uh, the President of the United States. But of course, that's not how uh, a lot of people think we should elect presidents here in the United States. The popular vote often just doesn't matter. And if you vote in states where, uh, where you are in the minority, if you are a Democrat and vote in a heavily Republican state, or if you're a Republican and you vote in a heavily Democratic state, it can really feel as though the vote you cast for president just doesn't matter. Of course, right now, what you hear are many Democrats decrying the system and calling for reform, saying twice in the last 16 years, their party has lost the election despite winning the popular vote, but there are some Republicans who agree. One of them is Saul Anuzis, who is the former Michigan Republican Party chair uh, and was a supporter of Donald Trump in this election. He joins me now to talk about why he thinks the Electoral College needs reform. Saul, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be with you, Stephen. Absolutely. And if you uh, want to join the conversation, talk about the Electoral College, talk about the popular vote, the difference between the two, which one should ha- hold sway in how we select the president of the United States. Is the Electoral College uh, an anachronism? Is it, uh, has it outlived its usefulness here in the United States and we ought to just go by the popular vote? Or do you have another idea for reform, something else you think we ought to do? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Saul, uh, let's start with your objections to uh, the Electoral College and what you think ought to be done to sort of move us in a more, I guess, popularly democratic direction. Well, sure. Um, First of all, let me throw out a couple, uh, correct a few misperceptions here. There are basically two proposals floating out there. Uh, both of them are, are, are usually referred to as a national popular vote, but right. one actually eliminates the Electoral College and is calling for a constitutional amendment, 
And that's what a lot of the Democrats and more folks on the liberal side are, are calling for. Then there's more of a bipartisan approach, which is what I support, which is a national popular vote compact. Mm-hmm. And that is a state-based system that basically says we keep the Electoral College, but states decide to send their electors based on who wins the national popular vote. And the reason for doing that is that if you live in Michigan, now this was a unique situation, but ever since 1988, 32 states have basically voted the same way. And what happens, as you mentioned in your opening, if you live in a decidedly Republican state or a decidedly Democratic state, post-presidential nominating conventions, neither party campaigns in either one of those states. So for all practical purposes, what happens is we elect the president of the battleground states of America versus the president of the United States of America. So in this election, as an example, 94% of all the resources and presidential visits after the nominating convention were held in just 12 states. In fact, two-thirds of all the money spent and presidential visits were in just six states. So what happens is that distorts public policy, and that also distorts politics. And those are my objections. My argument very simply is I believe that every voter in every state ought to be relevant in every election when it comes to electing a president. We elect 514,000 elected officials in this country. All of them are elected by who wins the most votes in their respective districts. It can be a state house, a local district, a city thing, or a governor or U.S. Senate race statewide, except for the President of the United States. That, as you mentioned, two times in the last 16 years, five times in the history of our country, someone who, who won less popular votes than the other uh, got elected. Right. But it's important to state here that the popular vote really wasn't a national popular vote, and the campaign wasn't run that way. Neither party campaigned in over 36 states. Um, some of the largest states, New York, California, Texas, did not receive campaign visits from Republicans or Democrats. Nobody was actually trying to get a national popular vote. So it's a little bit deceptive when, when we think about the results, yeah. because we say, well, Hillary Clinton is going to win with more than a million popular votes. But as Donald Trump said this weekend on, on 60 Minutes, he prefers a system where you could campaign in all 50 votes and all 50 states, and whoever wins the most votes would win the presidential election. So he, in effect, is taking the same position I am with regards to how the election ought to be run. Um, he didn't really extrapolate why, other than the fact that he thought he ought to be in all 50 states and campaign in all 50 states, which I agree to, since it's the only office that represents the entire country. Sure. But the problems are basically that, A, every, every citizen in every state doesn't have a voice, and, B, public policy is perverted. I would argue that we have ethanol because of Iowa or prescription D because of Florida, <laughs> even like Republicans, presidents back steel tariffs because of Pennsylvania and Ohio. So rather than doing policy that is targeted to battleground states or politics that are just you know, targeted to battleground states, we ought to be running a national campaign and talking to all the American people. So, so I guess I guess my question for you then is, under the system that you're talking about, the electoral college then would reflect the popular vote, and you would you would never you would never end up with the situation where the person who won that popular vote was going to lose the election. So That's then, correct. so then, that why why have the college at all? Well, because the, college, the, the important part, if you take a look at what the founders' intent was and why we actually have an electoral college, it's so that the state legislatures could decide how to send electors so they could actually impact who elects the president. 
So what we want to do is, is the, the, the power of the Electoral College and the importance of the Electoral College is that it preserves the state power to decide how our electors are chosen. So let's say Michigan were to enter the National Popular Vote Compact, and it was one of the compacting states that agreed to cast its vote as the National Popular Vote came in. If there were some unintended consequences, if the situation changed down the line, they could opt out of that compact and choose another method. For instance, Nebraska and Maine elect their delegates based on congressional based district on plans. district, yeah. So you basically get two votes for whoever wins statewide, and then one vote per each congressional district. Um, that plan has been actually there's bills introduced in Michigan that propose a congressional district plan, or pro- another option is a proportional plan. So rather than have a winner-take-all plan, which is what we operate under today, and 40 other 48 other states operate the same way. You could do proportional congressional districts or national popular vote. Well, but if you one did of either of two two ways of doing it, if you did congressional district, now you're subjecting the presidential election to the same kind of exactly. partisan gerrymandering that uh, that that distorts congressional delegations. The two Absolutely. states that I, I've spent I, most I, of I'm my life in. I think suffering. it actually takes a system that has problems and makes it worse. Yeah. Rather than. You know, rather than campaigning in in uh, six to twelve battleground states, we'd be campaigning in the twenty-five to forty uh, swing congressional districts. Right. And so then our issues would be dealing with you know the Mayo Clinic or um, you know very parochial issues that really do not and should not be addressed at a presidential level or on the presidential campaign. Yeah. Uh, historically, of course, the the college exists for partially for the reasons you said, but but I want to ask you about its connection to some other things in, in U.S. history. One is the distrust of the popular uh, sort of sentiment. I mean, uh, essentially, the, the, the college comes about in part because uh, of an elitist concern about uh, farmers and, and, and other uneducated, quote, people uh, deciding who the president was. The other is, of course, the, the, the argument that was taking place during the founding about what was happening in the South. Uh, right. The Southern states were very concerned about uh, the populist North uh, sort of electing a president who would end slavery, and so the college uh, is is part of the series of compromises that get made over that. Are, are, are those reasons that we should inherently distrust this idea? No, not at all. I mean, first of all, it, it's a little more complicated than that, obviously. <laughs> of course, I don't have two hours. To, about right. this. But the the uh, so the so the founders met. Uh, for 22 days and debated 30 different proposals on how to elect a president. And actually, the popular vote came the closest and yes. lost by one vote. Um, the current system, interestingly enough, that we currently operate under, didn't even, wasn't never even discussed and never even received a vote by the members. And so what happened is that, you know, we tried to figure out a way um, to elect a president, and, the, and, the, and they couldn't agree. And so what they did is they said, well, look, we will, we will kind of fashion this after the College of Cardinals and how a pope is elected, but Article 2, Section 1 of the uh, Constitution gives the legislatures the exclusive and plenary right to decide how they send their electors. So in the early days, you used to have some states send their electors, let's say, based on whoever the governor appointed. They gave the governor the right to do that. Other states had the legislature decide who went. In other states, you even had um, uh, what were called elector districts, kind of like congressional districts or legislative districts, mm-hmm. and you elected members. So we have, in the first hundred years, um, most states used a variety of different ways of sending electors. In fact, Massachusetts 
changed 12 times how they sent electors. So the whole purpose was so that state legislators would decide how and when it was in their selfish best interest to send electors based on different uh, ways of doing it. Mm. And somewhere around 18, I think it was like in the 1890s, states started moving to this current winner-take-all system. And, you know, it, it actually happened after the third presidential election where the first states started moving, and it's kind of evolved since then. And in the 20th century and the 21st century, we just kind of got used to it, and no yeah. one ever challenged it again. Yeah. I mean, it, it has been hard to, to start a, a real conversation about changing it, uh, which would require, of course, an amendment or, or, or something to the Constitution to try to, to, try to undo it. Is it just... Uh, is it just sort of spoil sport politics that it comes up? Absolutely not. So, yeah, first of all, again, there's two different proposals. If you want to eliminate the Electoral College, yes, you need a constitutional amendment, and that's what some Democrats and liberals are proposing. Sure. There is a bipartisan proposal that I am working on that basically allows states to enter into a state compact, which is a constitutional, kind of like our lottery. We have a Great Lakes compact. There are other compacts where states who have 270 electoral votes or more, which is what it takes to win the presidential election, agree to cast their vote as a block for whoever wins the national popular vote. You wouldn't need to change the Constitution. You wouldn't need to to change the Constitution, and that by design keeps the Electoral College relevant at the state legislative level. It means that it can be changed if there are unintended consequences. It means it is closer to the people. It doesn't become a populist democracy. Remember, we're a republic. We are a republic, and we would stay a republic under our proposal because you would still be sending representatives to Congress and representatives that would represent you. So that doesn't change, and this is not direct democracy. It's no more direct democracy than the way we elect our local representatives because we're still sending a representative to represent us with regards to what happens in government. But it is important. It is an important distinction because those who are constitutionalists and follow the history of how we wrote the Constitution and where the Federalist Papers come from, it's it's critical for them to understand that this is the constitutional way to do this. Um, It is appropriate for the states to exercise this power, and it makes sense. I mean, look, I got involved in this in 2008 when I was chairman of the Michigan Republican Party, Mm -hmm. and John McCain pulled out of Michigan in like the last... Yeah, it was October. Yeah, no, it was uh, mid-October. Yeah, and it was horrible. And so one of the problems that it caused is that all of a sudden, you know, he publicly announced it, he pulls out of the state, and voter participation drops significantly. And where Michigan's kind of a purple state that can grow red under the right circumstances, like it did this time, vote Republican, it usually is close. You know, we're 47, 48, 49 percent of the vote when we lose. We're 50, 50.5 percent when we win. Well, we dropped down to like 41 percent, lost two Republican congressmen, nine state legislators. And I said, there's got to be a better way to do this where everybody believes in a more fair and appropriate system that continues to encourage people to participate. And again, once I started looking into it, you also see how public policy is affected. I mean, the presidential visits to swing states are much higher than they are to non-battleground sure, states. Sure. The presidential pork that comes through and the administrative pork that comes through, whether it's with regards to disaster relief or exceptions from no child left behind or anything else, is more likely to happen in a battleground state. So it has a real effect on policy. And, you know, I look back when, when, when President Obama announced the stimulus package, the highest unemployment in the country was Rhode Island, and the second was Michigan. He skipped Rhode Island and Michigan, and then he skipped the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth state, 
and went to the seventh state with the highest unemployment, which was half of what Rhode Island and Michigan was, and that was Colorado. Why? Because it was the first state that needed stimulus package money or was going to get stimulus package money that happened to be a battleground state. So it's examples like that from a policy standpoint that have a real-world effect on us, not only who gets the most votes, but it also affects public policy on a day-to-day yeah. basis. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. <clears throat> I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Saul Anuzis. He is the former chair of the Michigan Republican Party. We are talking about the Electoral College for the second time in 16 years. Uh, the winner of the popular vote in the presidential election will not be the president of the United States. That's because uh, our system of selecting a president uh, goes through the Electoral College, uh, a, a way of proportionally representing states in that decision as opposed to reflecting popular votes. Is this the way we ought to be doing it? Uh, 200 and some years after uh, after this nation was founded, should there be more popular influence over who is the president of the United States? And uh, if you could change the Electoral College, would you get rid of it or would you just alter the way that it uh, it it operates. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number to join the conversation. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Also go to the WDT Facebook page. Put your comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we'll work your comments into the conversation. Um, let's go to Todd in Lake Orion. Todd, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey. Um, I am a proponent of the Electoral College. I, I think what we have works, but I, I guess my comment goes in this direction. I find it hard to believe that the two major parties can work to get this reform done, but they're not overly concerned about reform that would allow a third party or a fourth party to get in there that would really upset the apple cart. Uh, they're concerned that this isn't fair, that the Electoral College isn't right, that it doesn't represent everybody else's vote. But they're awful concerned about maintaining that they're, that they're the two parties that stay in power. So, I mean, so, I guess it, 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 so well, Todd, no, I guess. Is this. So, so they're complaining about the results of an election, which is fine. But as long as it's always a Democrat or a Republican <laughs> that, that yeah. wins, that's fine. No, no I hear they, you. They I, sure as heck don't want anybody else. Yeah, Todd, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, and I think it's a great point. But, but I guess my question to you is, so what, what things would you like to see reformed that you feel like would change that two-party lock on the system? What, what, what would we have to do to make that possible? I feel that they should maintain the old system because I think that, in a way, in a very backhanded, complicated way, does represent the people the most because it does allow a third party to, in a way, have an opportunity to take a state. But I guess, like I said, so would people be happy if, in my world, that I would like to see a third party get a chance? Uh-huh. What if someone got elected with only, let's say, 40% of the popular vote, would everybody be happy and say, well, the winner didn't even get 50%? I mean, what, I mean, if we're going to truly make it and say that a popular vote should win because that's a majority, well, shouldn't it be written in that the majority at least be then like a 51%? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Or a 55% so not, that, that, that it's a true majority? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I think what you're suggesting would help third parties. I guess, I guess I'm, not, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. Uh, in terms of uh, whether or not third parties ought to get a better chance. I'm not sure what you're talking about, whether what you're talking about would get us a better chance. Are you there, Todd? 
find it surprising that the two parties are very adamant or willing to work on this issue because it benefits the both of them. But they have little to no concern about making it a, an opportunity for another party other than the two that are currently in power right now to get into the game. They, they want the game to be played fair as long as they're the only two players. Right. So if, if they're really concerned about fair, then open up the game to more players. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Todd. Uh, that's a great point. I'm, I'm still not sure I think your solution matches the problem you're identifying, but but I absolutely hear you about uh, the, the, the frustration about the two-party system. I hear that from a lot of folks. Uh, thank you very much for the call and for the comments. Let's go to Josh in Beverly Hills. Josh, uh, welcome to so Detroit I- Today. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh-huh. I have uh, two points. One to follow from our friend Todd. That uh-huh. I'd like to know why the, there is not an not a national debate about alternate voting methods in, in a national sense. Ranked voting, first pass, uh, ranked voting concordat, other methods to gauge the intent of the electorate. Yeah. That will that will serve to solve the problem. I think Todd identifies that you've got a a lock on this duopoly of national parties, and that is probably why you've got low turnout or low voter turnout and uh, dissatisfaction with the, with the uh, government and the players because people can't cruelly express themselves. Third party is, is it express, demeaning, demeaning players in the game by calling them third party is a betrayal of the intent of democracy. And the system well, is interesting. broken, I mean, uh, broken uh, in ways much, in much more than just your 270 electoral college. That's nonsense. That's yeah. just that's like, you know, always using the bathroom on the left side. Well, but but I think they're called third parties, Josh, because in popular in popular democracy, they have less support overall than the two major parties. Is that but you you seem that to assume there's a value judgment that that comes with that with that naming. Josh can I jump in for a minute? Sure, go ahead, Sal. So, a couple, couple things. I, Todd brought up, you know, a very good point, yeah. um, but I think he was... I'm not sure his solution matched... Uh, no, no, he, I think he missed the point a, a little bit uh, there. First of all, you don't have to get a majority of the votes to win. You never have and you never should. Um, and that's the point. I mean, we've elected a president oftentimes who's received less than 50% of the, of the sure, vote. Sure, sure. Um, so 2,000... Uh, designed... Yeah. Yeah, the system's actually designed that if there was ever a third-party vote, you could actually get in there. Now, when, how they do it, for instance, seven states allow what's called fusion voting. And what fusion voting does is you can get nominated by a number of political parties and run for office, and then you fuse those votes together, and that ends up being who the winner is. So, for instance, New York, as an example, uses it on a regular basis. And on the conservative or Republican side, they have the Republican Party, the Conservative Party, the Right to Life Party, the Constitution Party. On the left, they have the Democratic Party, the Workers' Party. So, uh, there's a, I think there's, a, there's some other parties. But the point is that these are state-based systems. And this is the important part of the Electoral College, is the Electoral College allows the state legislature to make those decisions. Decide, so here right. in Michigan, as an example... You know, we could allow for third parties to run in a system that allows them to have a greater voice by, for instance, using fusion voting, which I actually think is a good idea. Now, this last caller referred to ranked choice voting, which I think is a fantastic idea, particularly in primaries. So if you take a look at the current system, when we the Republicans had 17 candidates running for president, and for their nominating process, and Donald Trump, who received on average over 70% of the people had voted for somebody else, emerged as our nominee. Right. Now, right. you can argue whether you like or dislike that point, 
But what ranked choice voting does, especially in primaries and caucuses and conventions, is allows for people to come up with a consensus. And so as a party wanting to nominate the strongest and best candidate, regardless of which party you may belong to, having the ability to come up with a consensus, uh, especially when you have a large and qualified field like I believe we had this time around, something like ranked choice voting would be a fantastic solution, and it's actually something that I have proposed to the Republican National Committee to consider so that we might take a look at using it in various states who would like to do that. But the, one of the factors is, is that because we are a republic, because we have the Electoral College, we preserve these reforms and rights at the state level. And I think as a Republican and a conservative, to me, that's very important. It might not be important to somebody else who's willing to look at a constitutional amendment, sure. but well, I think I, the and... fact that we allow states to do this is very important. It is something that I would fight to preserve, and therefore I would oppose most of these proposals that are looking at constitutional amendments. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the, the problems, though, of course, with, with preserving that state power or control over the system is, uh, first of all, the other parts of the system that are, that are broken and, and allow for, um, for minority parties, for instance, to have majority sway. So, for instance, in the state of Michigan, a majority of people voted for Democrats uh, to go to Congress. But the split in the delegation is going to be five Democrats to nine uh, Republicans because of the way we divvy up um, because of the way we divvy up congressional districts. Uh, same thing at the state house level. The people who who make the rules. Uh, make them in ways that that preserve their own power, which then, of course, disfran- disenfranchises the majority. So, well, no, that's not true. First of all, you, you, you're making the assumption that somehow that's a problem. Well, I, 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 I am. Yeah, you are. I disagree. <laughs> right. I think that we, we have districts, states, or counties. We've set up a representative form of government. We are not a pure democracy. We right. never were intended to be a pure democracy, and we're not a pure democracy. We have set up a representative system of power, referred to as a democratic republic, which is what we are. We elect people to represent us in our respective districts. So whether it's a legislative district, congressional district, or the city of Detroit, or the city of Flint, or whatever it is, and then the people of that district elect a representative. The fact that more people show up in a adjoining district or a different part of the state should not affect who represents me. But the way and you draw that district has everything to do with absolutely. that. Absolutely. That's and a that's, different issue. Yeah. That's, that's a very, that has nothing to do with the majority. That has nothing to do with democracy. That has to do with reapportionment. And sure. It has to do well, with power. But they all support. fit together, Saul. They all, no, they all matter. Because here's the problem. You're, you're, it's a very important philosophical distinction especially for those of us who are conservative constitutionalists. No, I understand. And, yeah. and well, I, but I think it's important to say because when you, if you, if you, when when we make light of that distinction, you you take a lot of people who are very passionate about the fact that we are moving away from what the founders intended and what this country was built on, and there's a lot of other issues that get to it. Yeah. And so it's in order to come up with bipartisan reforms, which I've worked very hard to try to come up with something that would be that both, both parties can yeah, Republicans right, sure. and Democrats and pull people in from both sides of the party. Like, for instance, we have our bill, this National Popular Vote Compact, is being introduced by uh, Senator David Hildebrand in, uh, from Grand Rapids. Yeah. And right now he has 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats co-sponsoring the bill. Yeah. That's almost unheard of. It is, it is. Uh, especially in the Michigan legislature <laughs> these <right>. days. <laughs> because it's being proposed as a fair bill that says 
we're going to let the people of Michigan, who happen to elect the president in a, in a bigger sense, right? So we don't, we're not doing um, reapportionment or gerrymandering. We're letting all the people vote, just like the governor is elected. Yeah. The governor is elected, and our U.S. senators are elected by whoever gets the most votes statewide. But they are our state's representatives. So, you know, I, I, it, some people may think it's a di- distinction without a difference. It's not a distinction without a difference, is it, but it is a, disti- it's a distinction that I think uh, if you're on the left side of the political ledger, it ties into baked-in uh, inequalities that uh, that are that historically are about race and class, and I think it's it's impossible to separate those I, things. I, I, well, it is true. You may not think it's statement. important, but but that's where these things come from. I mean, there there was there was a concerted effort during the founding to protect certain inequalities. Uh, the, the the primary of of which, of course, was was slavery. Uh, the other was well, a we class. We fought a war over that. We did fight a war okay. over that, but the changes that we made. After that, didn't all didn't wipe out all the vestiges of that of that sure. inequality? Well, I remember guess. it was the Republicans that you know passed the sure. you know Emancipation Proclamation. Absolutely. It was the Republicans that freed the slaves, and it was the Republicans that elected the first black U.S. senator, and the Republicans that elected the first eighteen black members of Congress. Sure. So when you talk about the members on the left. Being well, it was a different party. I mean, it was a, a little bit deceptive. <laughs> it was a really different party that did all of those things. Well, it may have been a different party. The fact <laughs> the is, the South hasn't know, sent a, bl- a black left. member to the Senate since Reconstruction. So, right, and, and who's and who and who's who's the currently the black member of the United States Senate from South Carolina? Yeah, from happens South to be a Republican. Yeah, no, Cory Booker right. just got elected last time around, so uh, it's been the Republicans that have elected black members of the United States Senate. I mean, again, look, I mean, I don't want to get yeah. into this. No, I know we're we're a little far afield, right? Off the issue, <laughs> but I appreciate that. I, I do I just, appreciate the dialogue. I, I think it's very important for us not to oversimplify whether it's Republicans or Democrats, whether it's the left or right, because there are bipartisan solutions that make sense. And I think that, you know, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not necessarily the, you know, the perfect solution. But, you know, um, Debbie Dingle and I, as an example, work, have worked very hard over the last years to try to find things that we can find common ground on. Yeah. She's a liberal Democrat sure. from, you know, from Dearborn and was a national committee woman for the Democratic National Committee. I was, you know, the Republican National Committee man for Michigan. And we tried to come up with electoral reforms that we proposed both nationally, et cetera. So, you know... Yeah, no, I, I hear what It'd you're saying. Nice the idea that, ground, that rather yeah, than looking for the yeah. things that divide us, no. and I think we finally have. I mean, with Donald Trump coming out on Sunday saying, "Look, I think we ought to be campaigning in all 50 states. Yeah. I think the person who wins the most votes important. ought to win." Yeah. Makes sense. Now the question is, how? How do you how get do that, do that to a? Yeah. And how do you get to a, way to do a, do a it policy shaping and protects the founders' intent? I think we're better off. Yeah. than if okay. we kind of go off the sidelines. All right. Saul Anuzis, former Michigan Republican Party chair, as always, I really appreciate the dialogue with you here on the show, and thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, it was great to be with you, Steve. Absolutely. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about the massive protest at the Standing Rock Indian Reservation in North Dakota. We're going to want to hear your thoughts on that as well. Of course, that got lost in all of the election coverage, but we're going to talk about it today. So stay with us on Detroit Today.